Good morning, church. My name is Pastor Scott. So glad to join you for uh, another series in the in, in the series, another installment in the series, Sustainable Faith. Today, we're going to be looking at two different spiritual disciplines of simplicity and generosity at face value, quite a lot easier than last week's topics of fasting. Um, but when you look deeper, you realize that this ability to live simply and to be content and not be prone to anxiousness and to have a generosity from an ethos of contentment in the Lord is really maybe one of the greatest challenges for us as Christians today. So let me pray and we'll begin. Lord God, thank you so much for this morning, for the chance to open your word. We pray that you'd open our lives to hear what you have to say to us. Teach us to be people of simplicity and generosity, changing the world, not out of our own strength, but out of your strength, Lord. May we receive that this morning. In your name we pray, amen. In college, at 19, a bunch of us, freshmen, fall, college, Whitworth College, a bunch of us uh, decided to take a packing trip. None of us had done it before. Many of us, you know, I can't even get this thing on. Here we go. And uh, we, we loaded up packs for a trip to Five Lakes Butte in western Montana. Five lakes, several thousand feet elevation gain. Even getting there was quite an adventure. We really didn't know what we were, we were doing, but we knew we had heavy packs. Man, we, we hiked all day with 50, 60 pounds, the average pack. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'd planned to just go for two nights Hiked kind of through the alpine layer, kind of got through, you know, rained a little bit on us. One of our buddies had so much stuff in his pack, his sleeping bag was actually outside his pack, so it got soaking wet. And we got finally, by like early evening, we finally got to the final peak, we sat down, the trip took way longer than it should have. We were exhausted, we were fried, we were done. And we hadn't done a lot of, you know, coordinating our efforts, but we're like, we have so much stuff, we certainly must have everything we need for the trip. What exactly do we have? So guys put their packs down, I mean literally just fried, you know, and uh, you know, they started to open up their packs. What did we actually carry here to the top of Five Lakes Butte? There was a bunch of bottles, many of them glass, many of them did not have water. Um, there was means for fire, uh, presto locks. This is, I wish, just a joke, it's not. Someone brought a gun, a real one. I uh, couldn't bring that here today. There was hot dogs to cook over said presto logs. Uh, another presto log, because you just never know. One might be enough. You know, blank, like, you get the point. Fire, uh, paper to build a fire. You can't build a fire up in the alpine layer. There's nothing would be able to burn. We had, we were so unprepared, so unprepared. And the, the reality was, like, we had a, I mean, we laugh now, 25 years later. We had a miserable time. We had all the wrong stuff. All, you know, five guys in this big tent, guys are wet because they brought the wrong stuff and we tried to cook hot dogs over the presto log. We hadn't heard of off-gassing at that point, you know. One of the guys gets sick because he'd cooked a hot dog over a presto log. Middle of the night, heard of elk or caribou or something. You know, something's come running through, rawr, through the campsite. The guy grabs his gun. He's run, I mean, no one was hurt in the making of this sermon, but it was close. <laughs> we were loaded down with all the wrong stuff, okay? Full packs, but we didn't have the right gear. And actually, if you're a hiker, and some, many of you are, you know, the whole thing now is like, go light. You don't need as much as you thought you needed before. Go light so you can go further. Friends, as we take a turn to the message this morning, this is my last chance to teach to you out of this series. Ruth is going to be teaching next week. And so in kind of a conclusion, like this feels like in some ways for me, a summary statement to this series, that we're going to be in it for another couple of weeks. But for me, as a final word to you, the church, if you receive the disciplines of the faith 
what we've been talking about each and every week as just more stuff in the pack and you're feeling weary and you're feeling like just another reminder last week about fasting, about things that just feel far from you. You're feeling like we're loading you down, then then we're giving you the wrong stuff. Because the entire series is really built upon this one idea that Jesus wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. And when you practice the disciplines of of fasting and and prayer for others and meditation for yourself and Sabbath keeping, these aren't rules to keep. They're, they're, They're elements to employ so that you can be reminded that Jesus wants to be with you. Today we talk about simplicity and generosity. At face value, simplicity stacked up against Sabbath or, or fasting almost feels like, wow, does, does that even belong as a discipline? And, and keep in mind, there's not a hard and fast rule of what are spiritual disciplines. The church has practiced simple things for 2,000 years. And many times you hear people talk about simplicity being the effort of focusing more on Christ and less on the stuff of our life. And like I said, at face value, that should be the easy one. And yet in our day and age, it is perhaps the most challenging. Yeah, I can fast for a day, but can I pursue Christ each and every day as if he's enough for me? The the scripture read for us out of Philippians, Paul talks about, you know, that we wouldn't be anxious. And when he wrote it, the Greek word he used is called merimeneo, that we translate as anxious. In the ancient Greek, what what anxious was translated, merimeneo, was literally meant having your thoughts possessed. Anxiety is having an anxious or captured or divided mind. And some of us in the room are actually, you know, we've, we're, we're dealing with anxiety. Like medically, we're, we're in counseling, we're in medication. Like that's a thing that we just want to honor. If that's the process that God has you in right now, you're not broken. God will be with you through this. I'm talking about a little bit larger perspective where many of us feel like we have anxious minds, divided minds where our thoughts are often possessed, not on what we have, the peace of Christ, but on what we do not yet have. And when we talk about simplicity, it is this, focusing on what Christ has already given us. Do you, church, believe you have what you need today to get through the day? Because the Lord Jesus Christ has given you his very spirit inside of you, his life inside of you. And the whole spiritual life is us tuning in to what Christ has already given. So when we are simple, focusing on simplicity, we're focusing on Christ above the stuff of our lives in an effort to be more generous. The inhale is, I want to be more simple. I don't want to just be thinking about the stuff of of my relationships, of my possessions, uh, uh, of my career. I want to focus more on Christ. And when I do, I will have something to impact the world that's called generosity. So let's look here at our first discipline this morning, the discipline of simplicity. Are we able to simply believe, like Paul said in Philippians 4, the Lord is near. Philippians, we will get a chance in January and February as a church to go verse by verse through the entirety of Philippians. It's a series we're calling Hope in the Midst of Darkness. And we believe that in January and February, we're going to need some hope in the midst of darkness. We're going to be going slow through Philippians. But just on a very high level this morning from the reading where, you know, Paul says, because the Lord is near, it, it leads to a place of strength where we go from having our minds captive to being people able to, to capture the strength of the Lord. And so simplicity is letting go of the non-essential in order to be filled with more of what matters. 
Or as a movie from about 10 years ago says, the stuff that you own ends up owning you. You are not your khakis, was a quote from this movie. The material world can end up owning us. The stuff that we have can end up owning us. Our pursuit of, you know, material relationships, one that I don't have or one that I'm in the middle of, or, or material stuff, longing for a house if I don't own a house, a second house, a bigger house. I mean, how much time do we waste on real estate sites? And it's not bad to have a house. It sure isn't. But the point is, oftentimes we can find our thoughts are being possessed by the stuff that we actually own, maintaining it, captivating it, curating it, protecting it. And, and for the life of a disciple, Jesus is saying, don't be captivated by the stuff of your life. Now, I want to just say as a moment, because I spoke maybe a month ago about a jean jacket. When I come to Jesus, I don't know if you were here, I talked about a jean jacket. There was a jean jacket. This was a big deal in 1992, 93. I had this sweet polo jean jacket. But because I came to Christ, I, did, I felt guilty with the jean jacket. Because, you know, corduroy collar, you were here. You maybe heard it was awesome. But I couldn't deal with the polo label. I was struggling with that. And I had to learn. It's not at a level about the jean jacket. It's about where my devotion lies. Like we can have stuff. How do we know? The scriptures tell it. In the book of Deuteronomy, as as Israel is getting ready to, to, to own the land, God says this, Deuteronomy 8, the Lord your God is bringing you to a good land. A land of brooks and springs and fountains flowing forth in valleys and hills. That's life in the desert. That's water. A land of wheat and barley and vines, fig trees and pomegranates, of olive trees and honey. That's food. That's material provision. A land where you may eat the food in plenty and find no lack of anything. A land whose stone are iron and from whose hills you mine copper. There's economic provision. God says, I, you're going to need money to live. Like, that's just a reality. But the land is good. Enjoy it. But as Deuteronomy 8 continues, be careful that you don't worship the gift. You, you worship the giver. The book continues, Deuteronomy 8, verse 17. Be careful not to say, my own ability and skill has gotten me this wealth. Don't say it. You must remember the Lord your God, for he is the one who gives the ability to get wealth. If you do this, he will confirm his covenant that he made by oath to your ancestors, even as he has to this day. The thing isn't the wealth, it's the worship. So God's saying, live in the land, like enjoy the land. The the, the land is a gift. Give thanks to God economically, provision of water, of food. It's a gift. God is not calling us to asceticism, but he is calling us to worship him. And so, in order to be simply pursuing Christ, we have to kind of analyze our heart. Are we focused more in the day-to-day in what's consuming our mind on the stuff of our life, what we have or do not have, or are we thinking more and more in, in a trajectory about who Jesus is? And we can have stuff because the stuff can help other people enjoy God, but just Jesus is warning us, don't focus on the stuff. And we see this lived out in Luke 18, the rich young ruler. We've taught about it before. It's a familiar story. It's a, it's a, the heart of the rich young ruler is what Christ is after. We misinterpret this, this parable or this story. This wasn't a parable. This was a story. He, he showed up at the feet of Jesus looking for transformation. In the book of Mark, it says that the young man ran to Jesus. Now, running is a big sign in the Gospels that something is unusual because men in, in first century didn't run. It was beneath them. So remember in the prodigal son, when the father runs to the son, that's a big deal because nobody runs but the father. Here, the young ruler, the man of plenty, he runs to the feet of Christ, the book of Mark. I'm going to actually teach it out of Luke. Let's pull up Luke 18. What happens when the young ruler stands in front of Jesus Christ? This is Luke 18, 
Ready, go. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, says Jesus. No one's good except God. You know the command. You should not commit adultery. You should not murder. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. You'll honor your father and mother. Different sermon if we're going to just teach the rich young ruler. But you notice not all the commands are present. Do not covet. It's not there. Jesus is even selective of what he's saying to this young man. All these I've kept since I was a boy, the young ruler says. When Jesus heard this, he said, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus is looking at his heart and he can just see he's desperate. He's possessed by the stuff that he possessed. So Jesus gives him the diagnosis. If you are generous, your heart will change. If you open up your hands, your life will be transformed. But he misses it. And and he walks away. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom. And and Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And then his disciples said, Jesus, they they said, who can be saved? Like they're exasperated. This isn't like, oh, this is an interesting theological discussion. No, they're exasperated. What, uh, What do we even do with that, Jesus? And he says, what's impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus tells him, truly I tell you, no one who's left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age or into the age to come eternal life. See, even the relationships here can be construed as the problem. It's not. Not a relationships. Not not being married or unmarried. Having kids or not having kids. It's actually not the point. Jesus is saying to the young ruler, he's saying, your stuff is messing with your transformation. And friends, as a church, I got to say it. I got to say it. Our stuff, for many of us, is messing with our transformation. The stuff we have, the stuff we don't have. The stuff, even being relationally, where we want to be and we're not. Something that we want to possess and we don't. The point that Christ is saying is that the stuff of life can mess with our transformation. And instead, he tells his disciples, take steps of simple obedience. And when you do, you'll find contentment. How often do we miss contentment? What is the way that we become content? Back to that Philippians 4 passage again. The word that Paul says, I've learned to be content in any situation. The, the Greek there is artexis. It means sufficient. It means adequate. It means enough. And so in Christ, Paul said, even with lots and even with nothing, I've learned to have enough. Do we believe as a church that what we have today is enough? Oh, but I'm looking for a house. Okay, but do you believe that today what you have is enough? But I'm looking to, you know, in my retirement to, you know, save because I got kids. Okay, but do you believe today what you have is enough? I mean, this is, this is the challenge. And the opportunity for us as disciples, even as we plan a very long life, we believe that today we have enough. I heard a speaker this week, and the, the, uh, the interviewer of the speaker said, you know, if you could give any, this man is 59, big speaker, goes around the world speaking what speakers do. And the interviewer says, you know, uh, do you have any advice to give your 25-year-old self? And he said, yes, I'd give this advice to my 25-year-old self. The life is short and life is long. And the interviewer said, really, what does that mean? He said, well, life is short. Live each day as if it's your last. Make it count. Believe that today is an opportunity. Life is short. And the interviewer said, well, and the other, life is long? 
And the speaker said, yeah, it's a long journey. Stay encouraged. Keep your witness strong. The world is watching how you live. Life is short. Life is long. I like that. So they were talking about simplicity. And the life of more simplicity, living out as disciples, is more of Jesus in our life and less focus on the stuff. And this will be a daily challenge if you're anything like me. Today, when the worries start coming, Jesus, do I believe in you I have enough? Do I have enough? Jesus told this parable to combat the tendency that it's never enough. Luke 12, verse 16, Jesus told the parable, the land of a certain rich man produced an abundant crop. So he thought to himself, this man in the story, what should I do? I've got nowhere to store my crops because he's got a lot. The man said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And there I'll store all my grain, all my goods. And I'll say to myself, I've got plenty of stuff for years now. I've got this stuff done so I can relax and eat and drink and celebrate. That's where the joy will come once the stuff is in the future barn. And God said, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded of you. Be demanded. Who will get what you prepared for yourself. So it is with the one who stores up riches for himself, but is not rich towards God. Friends, we have a choice to make. In the way that we live each and every day, does our lifestyle say that we have a testimony, that we worship the God who is enough, the God of all hope and all joy and all contentment? And I will tell you, this is the biggest challenge, bigger than even fasting for a day or taking the next Sunday off in Sabbath, being people of simplicity because of who Jesus is. We're a church that says enough. Two weeks ago, I get the call that none of you want to get about a young friend who's died too soon, mid-30s, on vacation, car accident, gone. Left a widow and two-year-old son alive. And his mother called and said, you know, you were, you were his pastor in high school. And it's been a while since he's had a church home. Would you come and do the funeral? So flying to California, I didn't want to go. Who wants to speak on that day? Who wants to? Nobody wants to. Driving from the airport to the hotel in the Uber, feeling sorry for myself, slumped over in the back, exhausted. I don't want to do this. Driving up to the church that day. Up in the Bay Area, Silicon Valley. I mean, everything you could need. Sunshine, beautiful church, gorgeous cars, everyone dressed impeccably. Young man lost his life. You know, hundreds of people gathered. Someone's going to have to speak. So they've asked me to share a few words. What do you say on that day? What do you say with the microphone? Do you talk about the new... Model S, Tesla in the parking lot, it doesn't matter. Do you talk about the retirement accounts? None of that matters. No, you, you get a microphone in your hand and you say, this is all we know even in the darkest of times, that the hope of the gospel is real. And it was real in Charles' life, and I'm so sorry for your loss and for your son's loss. But there is hope still. Friends, with the microphone in your hand on the most treasured of all days, you will have one story to tell. And it is, it is the story of where your hope lies, where your hope is found. When we are simply pursuing Jesus Christ above the worries of the day, each and every day, choosing not to get bogged down in the stuff 
It's not about this stuff. It's about the pursuit of more of Christ in our lives. And we will fail and get up again and fail and get up again. But if we're on a trajectory as a church of more Jesus, more Jesus, more Jesus, when they put a microphone in your hand, you'll have something to offer the world. Because that church, they were hungry for some hope. And I don't know why he had to pass. I didn't try to pretend to know why bad things happen to good people. But I do know that God is good. We don't need bigger barns and more stuff. We need more Jesus. That is the intentional life of Christ that is really the mission statement to this series. To be intentional in the life of faith. Life is short, but life is long. How are you living? Not as a guilt trip. Not as a heavier pack. But as an encouragement that your life is your testimony. So those Christ lovers in the room, pursue him. Make room for him. And try to pursue him over everything else that gets in the way. How do we do that? It's tricky, of course. There's just some things that I was thinking of this week that might be tips for you on your journey. First is this. Tips for simplicity. Same with football. Is same with life. Best defense is a good offense. Instead of not trying to be obsessed with the stuff of your life, put into play a life focused on your values. The way that you spend your time and your money and your resources shows your heart. And so instead of just defending about being consumed with stuff, live your values. That's the offense of I, my life will be defined by what I'm for. Second, I want to encourage a conscious consumerism. For so many of us in the church, our debt turns to degradation of the image of God inside of us. And when we're suffering under a heavy debt load, we don't feel fully alive. This was my journey in my small business. It wiped out my hope for a season how can debt do that? It does. The enemy loves to prey on us with debt. May you practice conscious consumerism and practice wise choices. And this church has tools to lead you out if you're stuck in debt. We have classes. We have deacons that would love to walk with you. Third, give stuff up. So many of us, we, just, we have so much stuff. We give it away. To people in the church, to people out of the church. I met a family this morning, just recent foster parents said, we just need more toys. And so many people from this church have been so generous. Give it away. You can't take the stuff with you. Give it away. And finally, pray often. Because just as we pray when we fast, that every hunger turns to prayer. When we pray every day, God, I'm worried about my house or the next house or my, you know, all the stuff of my life. I'm, I, I know, God, I'm trying to build bigger barns. Will you help me, God? The prayer turns to more faith. May your faith increase in the giver of all gifts. And may we be a church focused, hyper focused on the big idea of our lives. That simplicity, we want to be about Jesus Christ each and every day. We don't want to be consumed by our stuff. A couple summers ago, I got the call. I was out fishing. I'd been up for 14, 15 hours. The wettest, nastiest, windiest day of the year. And I get the call, almost like Murphy's Law. Hey, the water's out at the resort. The pump has failed. 20, full, full house, 22 guests, 15 staff, no water. No water on the property means no showers after this wet, miserable day. It means no toilets. It means no cooking. You know, your mind, just, and it's like, hey, they're calling me because somebody's got to fix it. The pump's out. So we get back to the property and they're like, well, what do you do? You pull the pump out of the well. What's the well? The well's 200 feet down, deep well, pumps at the bottom. So me and a couple guys, we yard this thing out. Pretty simple. PVC pipe attached to a pump. The pump's failed. We get it all the way up. And what we found out was that the pump didn't fail in some sort of cataclysmic instant thing. It, it, had, it had failed over the course of years by being slowly clogged by tiny particles. 
And literally, there's, you know, the screens and screens for the screens. We pulled up. We could see what was wrong. This pump didn't die in a moment. It died in years. And now no water. No water, no showers, no toilet. You got it, right? Two days we waited for the new pump. What's the point? For so many of us, the pump gets clogged. Like the stuff of life, it doesn't happen in a moment, but, you know, it's, it's an extra car payment. It, it's this extra thing. It's, you know, it's all good, but with, if we're not careful, we just get clogged. Like the stuff of, like, I want to be about Jesus most, but, you know, I've got more and more and more stuff, and inadvertently, my life starts to be about caretaking stuff. Again, it's not about the stuff. It's about Jesus. He's saying, don't let your stuff mess with your transformation. Take radical steps of taking a look at your heart and saying, geez, what's clogging, what's clogging my, my filter? What's, what's weighing me down in my pack that's inessential? May my life speak to that which is essential, which is worship of Jesus Christ. Your life as a Jesus follower should speak towards that which you most value. May your life be lived with that kind of value. And you won't do it perfectly. None of us do. None of us do. But take an audit. How's your heart? What's weighing you down? And may we get back to being a simple church focused on who Jesus is. And when we do, we will be more generous. I preached about this October 1st, about generosity. You can go back and listen to it. We get it. Like, when you're grateful, you give. You do. When you're grateful, you give. Genesis 12, to Abraham. You know, go and you're, you've been blessed, now be a blessing. It's one of the core verses of our church for 100 years. We've been blessed mightily. And when you remember that, of course you want to give back. I don't take my kids to give to the less fortunate because I'm trying to hammer into them that, that they're bad. I'm saying, we've been given so much, guys. Let's go and let's give a coat to the homeless. We're, we have a coat drive going right now. That's interesting. Tell me more. People in our community are cold. And we did this on accident a couple years ago, and now it's a thing up and down Aurora. So the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, we'll set up volunteers from this church. We'll set up a, a shopping aisle, and there'll be mirrors, and people will get a ticket, and they'll get to get a new coat or a slightly used. If you have one, we need it because people in our community need it. Like when you've been blessed, you want to be a blessing. When you've received much, you want to give. We talked about generosity, and guess what? The church, you know... I shouldn't even like say this because it's still unofficial, but people were really generous last month. It's like, huh, I wonder why. Because we reminded them, you've been blessed, now be a blessing. And if you're a visitor this morning, I'm not talking to you. If this is your church, I'm going to encourage you, give back to the church, to the parachurch, to people of need. You've been given much. The, the, when you've been given a lot, you want to give back. It's, it's honor. Well, what are we talking about here? Are we talking, you know, we're talking about your time. We're talking about your money. We're talking about your hope. We're talking about your presence with people. A lot of us can write checks easier than we can actually just sit and look at somebody for 30 seconds in the eye. Like if you've been given much, you want to give back. So may we be a generous church. There's this incredible story I really wanted to get a chance to teach you guys because I've never taught it before, but I've, the Lord just... Brought it to me a couple months ago, and I've shared it with my staff, and I'd like to share it with you. It's 2 Kings chapter 4. Many of us, it's tough to be generous with our time, money, resources, because we believe that there's like just scarcity, that there's not enough. I know I can be guilty of that. Not enough time, not enough time, not enough time. I already challenge you. What if you believe today that you have everything you need? What if you believe today you have all the time you need? You have all the money you need? You have all the stuff you need? Do you believe that God 
would call what you have enough. Well, that takes a radical hope that God is a provider and that he will meet our needs. There's this amazing story in the ministry of Elisha and Elijah. I have Elijah and then Elisha. Kind of some crazy stuff that you read first and second Kings. At times, it's kind of even hard to know what to do with it. But this is this amazing story with Elisha, Second Kings 4. I want to share with you. The wife of man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. You know, he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Because money enslaves us. So there's a, there's a money due and the boys are going to be taken captive. Because economically, when we get in places of debt, many of us can feel trapped. It's real. Elisha says to this woman, he says, how can I help you? Man, I love that question. When, when, you're, when you're trying to be compassionate, like, what a powerful question to ask people need. How can I help you? Or as Jesus asked so many times, what do you need right now? He says, well, how can I help you? Tell me what do you have in your house? Like, what do you already have? Do you believe what you already have could be enough? Man, it's almost like... This works with our sermon today. All right. Uh, Your sermon has nothing there at all, she says, except a small jar of olive oil. She's got nothing there at all. How often do we believe we have nothing there at all? Relationally, spiritually, financially. We we can't see anything. But Elisha doesn't say what what she might have. He asks her what she already has. And she says, I have a small jar of olive oil. So Elisha says, go around, ask your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars as each is filled. Put it to the side. She left them. She shut the door behind her house. This is a crazy story. They brought jars to her. More jars and more jars. She kept pouring. Keep in mind, olive oil is financial provision in this day. Is used for food in this day. If you had olive oil, you have life. She's hungry for life. She says, I have nothing. And Elisha says, God will take care of you. And so they kept bringing jars. When all the jars were full, she said, bring me another jar. And he said, there is no jars left. And then the oil stopped flowing. Do you see it? It's actually incredible. And he replied, There's not a jar left, and the oil stopped, and she went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts, you and your sons can live on what's left, because God will provide for you. He will. And some of you this morning are like, man, I need a miracle. I need a God of provision. I need a miracle. And and there's some stuff in my life I'm hyper-focused on, but I need God to show up in a real tangible way. I don't even understand this story. But I do know that God longs to provide for you. And, and this story is so powerful because as long as they kept bringing jars, the oil kept flowing. God loves to respond to his people. And so, so often we're worried about this stuff and God says, I want to worry about your heart. If, if the stuff that you're worried about is for your provision, for your well-being, something that is breaking your heart, right now, turn it to prayer. God longs to fill you. And and I know some of the stories you're in are going to be long resolutions. We're in the midst of an epic, not a short story. I get it. But let us hear that God longs to fill us up with his presence. He wants us to be blessed in order to be a blessing. He wants us to receive from him our hope, our joy. And so the world would be blessed by that. What are some tips for being more generous? Let me give you just a few. First, pick a few places to impact others. So many Christians right now are just so exhausted because there's just never-ending need in, in the people that they're encountering. Pick a few places to impact others. Secondly, this went along with our first tips, live your values. Your checkbook defines what you value. Your time defines what you value. 
Your empathy defines what you value. Live your values. Three, teach the next generation. Your kids are watching you. You don't have kids. Your neighbor's kids. You're, like our job is to teach the next generation how to give, how to be generous. And finally, this is a key to the whole series. You are what you repeatedly do. Faith takes practice. And may your faith grow. May your ability to have a simple pursuit of Christ that each and every day you're trying to kind of move beyond the hyper-focus of the stuff into more Jesus on your life. And of course, we're going to get bogged down at times, but may we have a simple obedience to him. And may that turn towards generosity for a world who drastically needs the hope of the gospel. This last week, I got the opportunity to, to go down to a, a, a big business um, innovation group. I signed a non-disclosure. I'm not going to tell you exactly who it is, but they wanted me as a pastor to come tell stories about service and generosity. They were doing some innovation work. And they brought a couple other panelists from way different segments. I, I had that feeling. You ever have that feeling you're like the only Christian in the room? I had that feeling I might be one of the only Christians in the room. And, and we're sitting in Pike Place Market, kind of one of the meeting rooms up high, city of Seattle, you know, waterfront down below, the, the sounds of the city. And they said, tell us stories of generosity. And so then I started to tell them your stories, the church's stories. A strip club becomes a coffee shop and serving people on Aurora. Uh, people on Aurora um, going from heroin addict to getting a job with the church and now uh, just getting off heroin for the first time. His quote, I'm in the midst of living my own redemption. A woman from the coat drive last year who for the first time put on a coat, looked in a mirror and said, don't I look beautiful? Of families from this congregation who are taking in foster kids, who are saying yes to the needs of the world. I didn't tell a single story of my, they were your stories. And as I sat in this meeting room at Pike Place Market in downtown, these leaders of a, of a Fortune 500 company, as I told them Jesus stories lived out in the lives of people, they leaned in and they took notes and they shook their head. And later I got an email. He said, we haven't been able to stop talking about the stories you shared, your stories, because the world is so hungry for good news right now. And when they see people of faith doing the kind of stuff that God is calling us to do, we are in the midst of a miracle. We are literally impacting the generation to say, Jesus is alive in our city. I walked out into that marketplace. I got myself a coffee. I, I couldn't have been more alive in that moment because Jesus was giving me just this little view that the simple gospel lived out in the generous spirit of his people, can actually change the city. And I don't know about any of you, but that's what I'm here for, that we would change the city, that our lives would look more than the stuff would look like God, and that we would be generous in every capacity, changing the world, not by our strength, but by Christ. So may you pursue him. May that simplicity just kind of cut through the, the, the noise of your everyday worries that I know are getting so many of us down. And may we pour out because the grateful ones will always give back. And may this city be changed by the truth of Jesus Christ. Let us pray together now. Father, thank you so much for the reminders of Scripture that you are a God who provides for us, that you're a God who calls us today to be grateful for what we have and not be hyper-focused on the future. But Lord, oftentimes, like the young ruler, that we can be desperate and our stuff can 
change and alter the transformation you have for our heart and our hope. Lord, it's, it's not about the stuff. It's about you. And so this morning we're here just saying, yeah, we're in. We want to be more full of you. We're in. We want to be people like that. We're in. We're setting down the heavy packs. We're, we're unclogging the filters. We're, we pick a metaphor. It doesn't matter. We want more of you in our lives, Jesus. Not out of our own strength, but out of your strength. Jesus, more hope, more joy, more truth, more spirit. Even right now, Lord, you're speaking to people in this room. Even right now, your spirit is flowing. Even right now, Lord, you're reminding the men and women in this room you're not done with them, that you're in the midst of a miracle, often a very long one. And so, Lord, would you be hope for the hopeless? Would you be finance for, for the indebted ones? Would you be joy for the sorrowful? And may our life as a church be lived in worship and adoration of you. You are the big thing of our lives, Lord. We confess ways that we've missed it in the past, but today we're declaring from the rooftops of this city that you are alive in us still. Change us in order to change others. And all God's people said, Amen. Will you stand with us as we close in song? Final reminder is that there will be a prayer team at the end of the service. If you want to just pray with somebody, we would long to pray with you. Let's close in song.